Hey everyone, and a very big welcome to episode 21 of Flightcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosewell, and this is the one and only Infinite Flight Podcast. We would love to see you on Facebook and Twitter, so if you haven't already, hop over to facebook.com slash flightcastaudio or twitter.com slash flightcastaudio and hit the like and or follow button. It's easy. You should do it. My guests today have both been on Flightcast before, so I've asked them to come back and we'll dive into the ever-competitive battle of aircraft manufacturing giants Boeing and Airbus. First, we have our friend Melvin, aka Heavy Driver, who you can see controlling on Infinite Flight often. He's a Boeing 777 first officer in real life, and he joined us on episode 16, where we were talking turboprops. He's joining us today from Atlanta, Georgia. Melvin, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's good to be here. Awesome. My second guest today is also no stranger to Flightcast. In episode 4, Arnout joined me to talk about the Airbus A380 Super Jumbo, on which he's a first officer. He's joining me from a top secret location in the Middle East today. Arnout, very nice to have you back, man. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back from the top secret location. Yeah, we can't At least divulge. we have internet in there. Hey, so. there you go. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a place in the world with internet. That's it. So you're it's not in North Korea. It's more top secret than Area 51. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I've talked to both of you guys before to learn about how you got into flying, but new listeners who haven't listened to the back catalog yet um, may want to know. So let's do a quick recap. Arnold, let's start with you. What what path did you take to get to where you are now with flying? Okay, quick, quick recap. Uh, I started in 2005, an integrated ATPL course in Madrid, which is more or less takes two years when you start from zero to... Uh, frozen ATPL with instrument rating, multi-engine, and uh, MCC course. And that's all you need to get a first job as a first officer. Everything is done within, I did it in 23 months, all the training. And after that, A320 type rating, which got me a job. Okay, that sounds kind of like the path that our friend Dale McLaughlin's taking right now with uh, EasyJet. Yeah, except he is, if I'm correct, he goes via the airline. Yes, correct. And I did it. Those when I did it, it wasn't available yet. So okay. for him, it's a it's a it's a great opportunity. You know? Yeah. At least he has some sure. guarantee of a job if he if he passes all the tests and he does what he has to do. It's a it's a good motivation to study as well. Yeah, and I'll be actually interested to talk to him when he's all finished because he's actually doing his um, sim training in a seven thirty seven. Seven thirty seven. Yeah. Yeah, and then he's, then he's switching over to uh, the A three twenty family series aircraft so that'll be interesting to hear about um and kind of relates to this episode but dale's not here so let's uh continue on melvin same question for you uh, can you please recap your journey to being a 777 pilot sure uh quick recap i uh, started in 2002 flying and i did my private pilot as a senior in high school um after that i went to university where i uh, completed the rest of my ratings through uh, flight instructor certificates I uh, instructed for a little while, maybe about uh, six or seven months or so, and uh, flew corporate for about a year and a half before uh, obtaining a job at the regional airlines. Um, my first regional was, actually the only regional that I worked for, was American Eagle Airlines, which is uh, wholly owned by American Airlines, and flew there for about three and a half years, and was lucky enough to be hired by my current employer, flying the 777. Awesome. 
fantastic. And just to, so new listeners know, we are not going to talk about who these guys fly for. That's a top secret uh, bit of information. So we'll just leave that out there on the table for you now. Know, and interesting thing here. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people, they contact me, for sure, Melvin as well. Like, which part do you take? How do you get to the cockpit and all that stuff? You can see the difference in the European way and the American way. Mm-hmm. So in yeah. Europe, you can go straight away from flight training to what I did as a 320 type rating, but I ended up on the right seat of a 330. In the US, I think it's impossible. You have to do to gain at least 1,500 hours, if I'm correct. That is correct. But um, you, you keep switching airplanes, airlines, or like flight instructor. You go from airplane to airplane, and you hop on. Actually, it's, it's the uh, we we actually talk about that quite often uh, on some of the long hauls. Is that uh, the differences in the European model and the uh, American model? Um, I think there's definitely some advantages to the ab initial uh, program, um, and definitely as is in a structured environment like Arna went through. Um, however, there's there's some advantages also to you know going through and, and getting at least a little bit of experience. Um, flying in a busy environment such as, you know, a regional airline and uh, progressing on to the ranks. But um, I don't think either one's better than the other. It's just a different uh, mentality, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. I agree on that. And it's funny, actually, you say, you flew American Eagle, right? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, I had a few friends here. They came for a few years on, uh, was it unplanned leave or like three years or something? So they came here and now they're all happy back. In the meantime, they move forward to... American Airlines, if I'm correct, with the seniority they oh, get, and then uh, th- th- that is correct. Yes, which is a pretty that's awesome cool thing as well. Yeah, so you can actually seniority. you can actually keep your seniority and, and build hours even if you're in another country. Then, yeah, I think they had yes, a uh, crisis or something, so they okay. kept them as a under seniority, but they just told them if in like three years you're not flying here or something. I don't know, correct? Yeah, you get a. Uh, you get a leave of absence. They gave five-year leave of absences in, uh, I want to say, 2008, 2009 timeframe um, to prevent having to furlough uh, anybody. So anybody who wanted to take a voluntary leave could. Um, and there was a lot of people who took on whether they were military or um, had the ability to go to other airlines and, and gain experience. Um, but I think that's awesome to hear that, you know, a lot – of guys went overseas and took advantage of not only one scene in the world, but, you know, uh, giving their families exposure to just a different way of living, you know. Yeah, it's great, man. It's a great opportunity at least as well. Because nice. they flew, they came from, what they flew? I think also, what you, which airplanes you flew in Eagle? Like uh, uh, the, the ATR-72. Yeah, and the ATR they came, so they came here on 320, and then they moved after a few years, 777. And Very nice. a few months ago, they went back home. <laughs> and now they're captain in on the Embraer 190, I think. And then next year they go to mainline. Oh, very nice. Yeah. What what does that mean? Are no mainline? American Airlines. So they, I don't know if this exactly if it's still Eagle American Eagle, the Embraer, oh, or it's I already see. American Airlines. Okay, got it. And then you can move on from. That's what they told me. Yeah. And then you go from American Eagle, your seniority moves you into American Airlines. Got it. Nice. Yes, okay. Well, um, I, I can already see that it's it might be difficult to keep us on track because we're going to veer off onto lots of little rabbit trails. But let's let's give it a shot. Today we're here to discuss some of the differences between Boeing and Airbus. So most of our listeners will know that 
these already are uh, in infinite flight, lots of them. So we'll get to those. But first, we need to know the answer to some of these questions. And these may dictate the tone and direction of our chat. So first, have either of you flown both makes, Boeing and Airbus? Nope. Not at all. I've only flown uh, Boeing products. And wow, for me, only okay. Airbus. So. All right. So, and what about simulator time? Have you, have either of you flown, uh, let's say, like what Dale's doing at seven thirty-seven in the simulator, or something like that, and then uh, over to Airbus, or vice versa? Sorry, man. I have to disappoint you again. Wow. Only right. Airbus. Okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> yep. Same as uh, same as are not uh, just Boeing products in terms of sims and a few Falcons and stuff. That's as close as uh, I've gone to an Airbus product. Okay. All right. So next question then. Do either of you have strong opinions about Boeing or Airbus and which is superior? I know, Melvin, you do. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I think I think in terms of experience, Boeing has a lot more. Um, they've been around for over 100 years. They uh, actually just celebrated that a few years back. Um, you know, and, and Boeing started it out with uh, flying boats and, um, you know, big turboprops that were four engines. Um, and they've, they've really been on the change of innovation ever since they started in the industry. Um, a little another thing about Boeing. Boeing was started by, obviously, Boeing Sr., or the original Boeing, but also by uh, the founder of McDonnell Douglas. And unfortunately, they had a falling out, and that's how McDonnell Douglas uh came into its its glory but um those two have always competed with each other to build better airplanes um if you read a little bit of the history of pan am and especially one trip you'll see a lot of like uh you know dc8 versus the boeing 707 it's, it's always been a, a battle but um in terms of just being better i just think that boeing's always been on the the uh, innovative lead of technology within the industry um, because they've always had to compete with their original competitors, but I haven't flown an Airbus, so I'm kind of biased. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how about you, Arno? I don't really know. I have no experience from Boeing. I would love to try it, but uh, I don't know. It's For me, it's Airbus. It's I did my, my uh, CRM course or MCC, whatever you want to call it. It's the same in the end, uh, on the 320 simulator. So my first jet simulator experience was the 320, and from there on I just moved on. So I was already familiar with the whole concept. So you, you did your simulator training in the 320, and then uh, moved on yeah. to the 330, and then to the 380. Yes, okay. correct. Okay. Uh, well, you you, what I hear from people is it's also easier to go from I'm correct, from Boeing to Airbus and the other way around. From Airbus to Boeing could be very complicated mm. to adapt. But I've heard that as well. And why would that be? I would love to try Boeing one day, but now I'm fine. I'm more than happy. And at this point of my life, for me, it's more important my lifestyle and destinations than the airplane that brings me there. Ah, okay. Before you start to fly, you want to fly, you have a big preference. But for me, now, after flying for seven years, whatever brings the best lifestyle. Especially with a family, of course. Good words. And as Arnaud said as well, you know, um, but you know, we always talk about what we prefer. You know, Boeing, Airbus, Embraer, uh, Bombardier. But really, at the end of the day, the airplane that you know pays you the most and gives you the best quality of life is the best airplane out there. Sure thing. Well, you need to 
probably find yourself in Atlanta, Georgia at some point, Arnaud, because uh, we probably know some people that can get you in a Boeing simulator. That would be interesting. <laughs> I had a jump seat ride the other day on the 777. Oh, actually, nice. Because the flight was completely full. Uh, luckily, we can still, as company stuff, flight deck stuff, we can get the jump seat if the captains approve it. Hopefully the uh, flight but, uh, wasn't too long. I've heard the jump seat is not the most comfortable ride. Ah, no, but after the jump seat, I went to the bunk, 20,000 feet, just to the bunk. So it's it was perfect. But it's interesting. The whole overhead, it's so different compared to the Airbus. It looked very messy to me because uh, in the Airbus, everything is organized. <laughs> Every panel has his, all the buttons. You have like air, electrical, and those buttons are there. But on the Boeing, they went from left to right, up to bottom. We have more like a flow. You just go from bottom to top, bottom to top. Oh. I don't know if that's, maybe it's just me because it was the first time. I don't know if Melvin can say something about that. The uh, the cockpit preparation. For us, mm -hmm. for example, the overhead, you just follow it once. You just go from bottom to top and that's three times in a row and you're done. But I saw these guys switching buttons and going left, right, up and down. well, uh, like uh, at least for cockpit preparation, um, you know, different airlines have, have uh, different flows. Um, you know, Boeing's very big on the areas of responsibility. You know, captain has his duties. Uh, first officer has their duties. But uh, for the most part, at least at my airline, the first officer is in charge of the entire overhead panel uh, down to his oxygen mask across his uh his pretty much his PFD and uh, his navigation display are, um, as we see in infinite flight, the display screens, including the landing gear area, um, down to the flaps and all the way to the uh, rudder trim is where they stop. So there's really not much that I would say a captain has to do, but it's more of a flow because you start at the top and then you end at the very bottom. And then the only other thing that you do from there is right before you uh, you push back from the gate, you pressurize your hydraulics, you pressurize your fuel and turn on the beacon and then you start engines. Uh, it's a pretty mostly uh, left or right flow for the most part, um, you know, but as you uh, said before, or as I said before rather, different airlines have different flows, so I would probably have to see it. But uh, the nice thing about the triple is that even though there may be a lot to set up, it's a very automatic airplane. There's really, uh, even with engine failures, not a lot of stuff that we touch. Uh, but that's interesting as well, what you say, because you, as FO, you do the whole setup, more or less. For us, it's the, the pilot yes, flying who does it. So. Even if the captain is pilot flying, it's his responsibility. And the other guy does the walk around in the meantime. So I suggest, I expect that if you you will be captain, you do the walk around every day. You know? Uh, you wish. <laughs> oh, so you Most have to the time the captain and, uh, walk around. And the walk around. Oh, but we crazy. always fly with uh, three pilots for the most part. If we are a two-pilot crew, then we uh, we delegate to uh, efficiency standard and uh, exactly. keep it going. Ah, that's good. Okay. That's so interesting. That's, that's one thing that we've heard already that, Arnaut, you... Uh, an Airbus feature that you like is the flow of the switches and controls and everything. So while we're on it, Arnaud, why don't you, um, are there any other features that of the Airbus that you just love? The table. The simplest thing there is, but that's what most Airbus pilots say, a table. Because you don't have a yoke in the way. Yeah, there's no yoke, and if you have a like, long-haul flight or 7, 8, 10, 12 hours, you, I mean, you have a table, you can put your food on the table, you can 
you have more space to adjust and relax a little bit. There's no, you can put your legs however you want in your neck if you want. So there's no joke. Melvin, Even though I would you... love to try the joke, but uh, <laughs> Melvin, how do you eat your food well, with we, no table? Uh, we we have uh, trays that we get. Um, you know, we just slide our our chairs back. They're electronic, but uh, we always see that hairdress palace need a, a place for their coloring books. So you know, <laughs> drink it with us. Very true. For them. <laughs> Very true. Awesome. Coloring books. Okay, so same question for you then, Melvin. <laughs> Are there any Airbus or uh, sorry Boeing features that you just love that you feel like you might not get with an Airbus? I love the yoke. Um, you know, just looking back at, um, especially as of recent, and it's no, I'm not saying this is a reflection on Airbus because, uh, you know, Airbus doesn't fly the airplanes, pilots fly the airplane. But um, I think in terms of creating a good CRM environment and, and, and keeping both pilots in the loop in terms of what the other one's doing. I like the fact that, you know, the yoke is truly, it, it's a yoke. It's what uh, original airplanes had, um, you know, the very first airplane didn't have a stick, it had a, a control column. But also you can see the uh, force feedback or the, the real-time feedback that's happening. Uh, whether the pilot's flying or whether, you know, the captain's flying or their FO's flying, Whatever's happening is right in front of you, and you can see it moving. So if things aren't going the way that you suspect or expect them to be, then you can see it. Um, also, Boeing tends to be more, and this is just basing off of uh, riding in a jump seat, like Arnott said before, but in terms of uh, being pilot-friendly and letting the pilot control more um, and not the computer, I like that with the Boeing uh, even as advanced as the triple seven and seven eight sevens are, uh, you can still override the computer. The computer will try to fight back at you, but you can override and uh, you know do as you see fit for the situation at hand. Um, I'm not too well versed on the uh, the law system on the Airbus, but I know that it has its limits, and you know once you reach the limit, you can't go past it. Yeah. Any comments on That's that, Arno? Yeah, but those limits are like uh, 30 degrees nose up. I think in a normal situation, you will never reach these limits or 67 degrees bank angle. I don't know if you're going to try that. <laughs> I have never done that. Oh, well, I hope not. That's the thing. <laughs> all these all these laws, they are, or the protections, they are, you know, if you get outside, well, they say outside of the envelope, which is 1G. But it's it's non-standard or, I don't know, if, something like, if you have to do a, something like that, it's an unlucky day. So but what you the, say about that's true. The, that's what you say about the the joke compared to the side stick is really true. That's the one thing I don't like about the Airbus that you have no idea what the other guy is doing. Oh, okay. So the, the yeah. his his side stick doesn't move if you're flying. It just stays there. No, it doesn't. It just stays there. And if you put, let's say, the guy, one guy puts up, you put down, you will stay neutral. Or if you both go to the left, you go sharp left. It's added the commands. Okay. And then you have a button, a side a side stick over take button then it will say uh, whatever priority left priority right and then one guy has control okay but if the other guy presses the button he has control again so you it never happens in a normal flight of course but right you know if shit hits the fan and you start putting or you'll say I'm pilot flying and the captain sees something he doesn't like and he starts to interfere without saying anything or taking over priority that could be trouble you can end up in a bad situation yeah 
I imagine it's flare, you know, I flare a bit late and he flares strong and I just increase my flare, you're gonna boom, you have a tail strike. Hmm. And especially oh, wow. on training, well, with unexperienced uh, people, for sure, it's, it's a lot of sweat for training captains. You don't know what the guy is going to do. Is he going to flare on time or not? That's what, what you have on a Boeing. You see it, you feel it, you can help each other. So, uh, Melvin, if you're, if you're in the Boeing with the yoke, you can actually have your hands on the controls and feel what's happening, even if you're not making inputs yourself. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's something that we joke about. If uh, let's say I'm flying and um, you know I could be flying with whatever, um, if he's like keen the mic on his joke uh, to talk to ATC instead of using the uh, the control panel, and I'm hand flying, you know I can feel the tension of his hand on the uh, the yoke, whether it's an intentional uh, force feedback that he's given, like hey you know don't turn so sharply. Or whether it's just him resting his hand there talking to ATC, you can actually feel, you know, everything. Um, um, but another thing about the the Boeing that I prefer, at least uh, from a bystander uh, viewpoint, is the fact that our auto throttles actually move. Um, so when we set our thrust levers, our, our thrust levers, like an in infinite flight, they move back and forth. Um, from what I've seen in the Airbus, and I, I could be wrong or not, please correct me if I am, but when you put your thrust up, it's just sitting in a detent and it just sits there. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if, if you have an engine that uh, rolls back or loses power, um, the at least the first visual cue, you're not going to see. Um, versus in the, in the Boeing, every time those things move even, you know, a, a 1%, you see the, the force feedback, which is pretty nice about that. So let's say if you have an engine stall on number one, the left lever is going to go backwards or it stays in the position? Uh, they sync up. So you'll see both of them move initially, and then the computer will figure out, hey, you know, we, uh, you know, for instance, we have a, a compressor stall. Well, you're going to recognize it because both of them are going to come back and you're going to hear the noise. But we can individually turn off each uh, servo for our oh. thrust lever. So you can have the right one working and the left one uh, uh, disengage. But it's interesting if both come back because let's say number one fails, you don't want number two to reduce the thrust. Or do I misunderstand They don't come back it? that much. Once, what, they'll come back up to uh, initially about 5%. Um, ah, okay. Is, is what you'll see because once it, it notices a 10% difference in thrust on each engine, then it knows that there's a failure. And it's almost instantaneously, but you'll see it come back just a little bit. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that's what, what you say about Airbus, it's true. But we have on the NG1 in display, you see the amount of thrust. And it's like a little donut, so you can see exactly where on the screen where the, tr the maneuverable thrust lever is. And you can adjust it to that before you disconnect it. It's, it's, it takes a bit of time to get used to, but it's very easy if you're used to it, though. And we don't touch oh, it nice. from, I mean, we put it flex or toga takeoff, and at thrust reduction, you put it in climb, and you don't touch it until you do the flare, because then you put thrust in idle. That's interesting. So, Melvin, it's pretty clear that you love flying the Boeing. Um, what are some features maybe that you aren't so fond of? Uh, the cockpit ergonomics could improve, especially in their uh, long-haul aircraft. 
Um, you know, at least in the 777, we spend a lot of time in the flight deck, just like the A380. And it would be nice to have a little bit more comfortable seats. Um, I think that the seats are still kind of uh, based off of fighter jet airplanes for a good reason. Um, you know, the, the seats are based on um, spine compression. You know, if you have a crash, you don't want somebody to break their back. So essentially, that's why the seats are designed the way they are. But I just think from a cushioning standpoint, uh, they could do a little bit better. Um, but also, as I mentioned before, I, or maybe I didn't mention before, the uh, the 737 overhead panel is uh, long overdue for update. It's uh, very much synonymous with how the original 737 was that was built back in the 60s. Um, and with all the technology that is available uh, between the 777, which is now a 22-year-old airplane, and the 787, uh, there should be more automatic logic in the 737 overhead cockpit panel. But um, those are the only things I can really think about. Okay. How about you, Arno? Um, well, not much. It's the only thing I've seen, and I've been going from 320, which is, of course, in the beginning it's a huge cockpit, but it's now it's small. The 330 is like an average, but the 380 it's so it's so big and everything is so neat and clean and organized. It's like you've got a little so for a condo in the sky. Device. It is one, yeah. And then the best thing is behind the cockpit is a private toilet for the flight deck. There's two bunks, and you don't even have to leave that the whole cockpit area to rest or to go to the toilet anymore. Actually, uh, um, speaking of that, since uh, the I think it was the was it a German a German company had um, uh, the pilot lock the German wings yeah yeah lock the uh, captain out of the cockpit. Um, since then, a lot of airlines have said, "Well, nobody leaves or go, goes into or leaves the flight deck in flight." So, Melvin, yeah. how does that work with you guys on long hauls? Um, that's I'm not going to say that's never been an, an issue, but. Uh, we have uh, regulations here that at all times there must always be uh, two people on the flight deck, whether it's uh, two pilots, a pilot and a flight attendant. Um, of course, on a, a domestic flight, such as uh, if you ride on Southwest Airlines, you're not going to see a third pilot just uh, you know come up from you know 12A and say, oh, hey, guy has to go to the bathroom. I'm going to jump on the flight deck uh, okay. for this moment. Um Domestically, you're going to have a flight attendant uh, blocked out, um, depending on their pretty cooks. And uh, one flight attendant will go to the flight deck, and then a couple more will probably block out just for security purposes while the crew member goes back and uses the restroom. On uh, long-haul flights, most of the time we fly with uh, three or four pilots. So you're just going to see another crew, uh, if they're not already up there, go take cockpit and relieve the crew that needs to take take their meal break or use the bathroom so okay nice so guys let's bring it over to infinite flight for a minute are there any features on the a380 and infinite flight and arno you might have touched on this one i had you on before but any features that you think they've really nailed when compared to the real deal well the flaps are great they changed it very nice <laughs> but uh now the whole airplane is fine I must say I haven't flown it in a while, but uh, I mean, what I said before in the other podcast, the physics seems very, very accurate to me, and the looks, 
I like the the cockpit, the virtual cockpit. It's great. Okay, so in and terms of flight like physics and flap settings and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you feel like that's a good representation, landing yeah, speeds, sure. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I never following the in real life experience I have. I never stumbled into any troubles with the landing speeds or the weights and takeoff flaps with settings and speeds. Okay. That's true. They nailed it really well. And uh, what about the triple seven, Melvin? Uh, well, when Arnaz not flying the triple seven, I think the triple seven two hundred is, for the most part, on par with the actual airplane. Um, you know, I think a lot of time was put into making sure the performance numbers matched uh, real life flying for the airplane. Um, you know, just like we were talking uh, earlier. There's no simulator in the world that's going to uh, mimic the actual airplane. Um, even the uh, six-axis full-motion simulators that we use for training have their quirks that are misrepresentations of the actual aircraft. But in uh, short, I think the 200 is, is pretty precise um, with the weights and the, the flight characteristics. Um, it's a heavy airplane, just like the A380, so it's going to fly a little bit heavy. Um, the 777-300... I don't get to fly that much on infinite flight, but I think I remember it needing just a little bit of tweaking, but uh, perhaps that's something that will happen down the road here. And when when you're flying the 777, a, a comment I see on Facebook quite often, and, and I think some a few people made it for this episode, comments about um, the thing being really hard to slow down. Is that is that something you have to plan carefully when you're um, on an approach or a descent in real life? It is, um, you know, let's say we're cruising at altitude of 35,000 feet. Uh, the 777 has a very, very clean wing. It's very uh, aerodynamic. It, it, she wants to fly, um, you know, with that's bearing no flaps out, no gear out. Um, so if, you, if you're not ahead of the airplane, if you're not thinking, you know, down the road, uh, you know, 30, 40, uh, 50 miles down the road, hey, where do I want to be at this point? Um, she'll definitely take you for a ride. Uh, she's hard to slow down. It takes average. If you're in level flight, 10,000 feet, to go from 310 knots to 250 knots, you're going to eat up about 10 miles, um, which is about a minute roughly, but from realistic experience, it's more like, closer to about three, four minutes, and that's without using any uh, speed brakes or flight spoilers as they're uh, noted in the game. Okay, so um, you, you, if you want to descend through 10,000, then you you need to plan ahead and make sure that you're slow enough to do that. For sure, for sure, because your our typical descent is uh, is a Mach 0.8 to 300 and uh, about 300 knot descent. So if you're descending and you're trying to slow down, well, you can't do both at the same time. So usually you're going to want to plan if, you know, controllers know that you're going, you're coming from 300 knots to 250, 240 knots. So they usually give you, you know, descend lower a little bit earlier because they know that it's going to take you a little bit more time than let's say Ember 190 or um, maybe a turboprop to get below 10,000 feet or get below 250 knots in order to get below to uh, 10,000 feet. So, okay. It's so great to be able to track flights live and find places to open frequencies where the traffic is in Infinite Flight. 
Cam is here to tell us a bit more about live flight. I think you pretty much nailed it, Jason. Awesome, but there is more to it than just flight tracking. Indeed. Have you tried flying with a joystick on your iPad yet? The Autonav feature in Connect is pretty sweet too, I must admit. So what's coming next for live flight? You'll have to wait and see, but let's just say flying on infinite flight will never be the same again. Go and check out what we have out now though. You easily spend countless hours tracking flights in Infinite Flight Live whilst doing some proper joystick flying. Thanks, Cam. In the meantime, everyone, head over to liveflightapp.com for your next flight. Now back to the podcast. So, guys, I just have to ask. I, I think we owe it to our listeners to ask this question. Which one is better? So we'll call this the bare knuckle round. And let's hear it. What What do you guys have, have to say about it? I know, you know, I know that you guys don't fly both and you haven't flown both but let's hear we've heard some of your pros and cons let's have it which one's better airbus ask the airlines they will tell you oh why is that they buy it more than boeing nowadays Ooh. the gloves are <laughs> off Ooh. I mean, Jason, what can I say? A uh, hundred years uh, of greatness. Need I say more? I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, but it'll be, I mean, it, it depends, though. You can see the 320 is selling better than the 737, but then the 777 is selling better than, like, a 330. I don't know if you can, they're not comparable. But, or, like, the 787 well, also, and the 350 uh, is going to be interesting, or the 787 and the 330 Neo. It depends on the airplane, I think. Like Airbus, the three twenty and the seven three seven, I think it will be Airbus. But for long haul, it could be a different story. We have to see how it's going to be with the new seven eight sevens and the three fifty. Well, that, yeah, that was my leading into my next question. We've got the Dreamliner and the A three fifty XWB. I guess is the most current one. Extra wide body. You know. Extra wide body. There you go. Okay, and then the three uh, twenty Neo and the seven thirty seven Max, which I think they just started rolling out the seven thirty seven Max recently. Did they not? Uh, it's still in uh, it's still in flight testing right now. Did they change that overhead in that one, or it's still? Uh... I did it. They changed a lot of stuff on there, but there's still a lot of stuff from the original. Um, they can only change. I, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's around 150 items uh, before they had to create a new type rating. So uh, they yeah. didn't want to veer too much from you know uh, keeping a consistent type with the NG. So for sure. Um, when you say 150 uh, items, what do you mean by that? Uh, like, you know, let's say you, 737 is notorious for the super large trim wheel that is uh, probably one of the most annoying sounds in the world uh, oh, yeah. when it moves um, versus uh, most of your older Boeings, um, well, even though 737 is old, but like your 767 and your 777s have a, just a little digital representation of your trim. There's, you know, not this big massive wheel that's spinning and, you know, what's the purpose of the wheel? Set. Why do they even have it? It's, from my understanding, I'm not typed in the 737, but I believe it's for manual reversion. Um, you know, if the electronic trim stops working, you can actually physically move the wheel like when uh, you first start flying Cessnas and Pipers. Oh, man, you, that thing spins a lot when it's in flight. Uh, you'd, have, you'd have to be spinning it like a... <laughs> It'd be, a full, it'd be a full, it'd be a workout. Right, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's just super fast when it you spins. Don't, yeah. Lose your yeah. fingers one or your your kneecap or something. You don't want to get your shirt or your tie caught in there. Oh no, you. Uh, it'd be a really bad day. One <laughs> <laughs> down. Hazard. But uh, but uh, uh, Jason, to also add to the the Boeing versus uh, Airbus, 
uh, Airbus still has yet to find a competition for the 757. And, you know, airlines are still asking Boeing to reopen the 757 line. And it's actually something that they're actively looking at because there's nothing that can fly straight up to uh, cruise altitude and fly 4,100 nautical miles, you know, with full packs and cargo. There is. A330. Uh, it's supposed mm-hmm. to be a triple seven competition, but then again, uh, Airbus hasn't answered that either. <laughs> no, but the three hundred and thirty is a lot smaller than the triple seven. Three hundred, you do yes. three hundred passengers in average, and the two hundred to sixty. I think the triple seven is uh, you have more. Uh, we carry three hundred and eighty on our triple seven, but your typical two hundred is going to be around. Uh, 270 passengers and the 300 is like a 320 passenger where does the 767 fit in all this 330 i think that's a uh yeah okay seven seven six seven is uh it's about like a 70 6700 nautical mile uh, long range bird and it's about a 200 and you can do 290 packs on it but your typical airline is going to fly probably around 240 to 250. If I'm correct, they made the Airbus made the 340 as a competitor for the 777, but it didn't really work out. But I'm not so sure about that. That's something that just pops up in my mind that I've heard Definitely. somewhere. Because that's for like the 340-600 is to go far, far like the 777. Yeah, yeah. But that, that didn't work out. So now we've got the 350. Try again. <laughs> what I think is great is that the Dreamliner has push-button dimmable windows. The Dreamliner is a nightmare. <laughs> okay, why don't you, why don't you expand on that? Line. Why do you say that? Wise, it's a nightmare. Actually, you know what? I heard that from somebody. I, I, they, I, no, they told me, uh, oh yeah, we, we Air Canada has one of them, I think, at this point. And they said, uh, they wrote on the Dreamliner, and I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. How was it? They said, uh you know, it's an airplane. It was actually not great, not comfortable. What I've I've heard and seen in the Middle East and uh, from people is that it's one of the one of the airplanes with just the most unreliable, with the most airplanes on grounds and delays because of technical stuff. Hmm. And in the end, the whole fleet got grounded for a few months. Oh, that wasn't that a... That um, never happened to Airbus. Huh? That was an electronic issue with... Uh, yeah, the battery. Yeah, batteries blowing up or something. There's lithium-ion batteries on board, yeah. new ones. But uh, uh, I'm not a fan of the 787. How about you, Melvin? Any thoughts we on the Dreamliner? Um, ones, but especially in wise not at all. You know, I, that's one thing about Boeing um, that I, I didn't get to say earlier when you asked me something that... Uh, I don't like about Boeing is that, you know, Boeing is always is made around the pilot. Uh, you know, that's their main focus is, you know, can a pilot fly? Will they be comfortable? You know, um, will it meet all their expectations and uh, be able to be safely operated from a, you know, a, a flight standard uh, point of view? Um, passenger ergonomics has never been their strong point, but um, at least for me personally, i rather the pilots, you know, have uh, more control and, and be safer than, you know, be comfortable. But as uh, Arnott said, when you're when you're traveling for 12 hours or, you know, 15 hours, well, depending on your destination, you know, sitting in the back in an uncomfortable seat really does suck. 
um, you know, I think the dimmable windows are amazing. Um, I've flown the 787 a couple of times as a passenger, and um, personally, I had no no issues with it. But uh, the dimmable window doesn't replace a, a shade. Uh, it can only get so dim, and, you know, the sun is super bright, um, you know, brighter than we can look at with the visible eye. So, um, you know, there's always going to be those things. But, but that's you know, a dimmable I, I think, window is for, is for passengers, right, Jason? That's the one you mean. Yes, correct. Because that function yep. doesn't work on ground. So oh. <laughs> if you're in the full sun, you cannot dim your window as a passenger. Only oh. in the air it will work. Well, that seems exactly. silly. So you're, yeah. That does but it. I do think that uh, I, I do think that the the mission of the 787 is supposed to be the 767 replacement. Because really, the only 767s that are still being produced are cargo. Um, and actually... FedEx has a huge order for the cargo 767, but the uh, the 787 was to replace 767. I think it's done a great job. Um, you know, it has it's the first airplane out there that is not using uh, engine bleed air to uh, pressurize the cabin and also, you know, uh, provide um, you know heating and cooling. It's all electric uh, pressurized, and you know it's uh, it's pretty amazing that they came out with that system. You know, you feel more refreshed when you land. You're not tired or drowsy, and um, you know your skin's not dry from all the the air that's being pumped through the cabin. I think it's amazing. That that's actually a huge bonus for somebody like me. I, I don't. But even I have the, dry skin, so that's the that's, 380. It stays lower the air, uh, the cabin altitude. Sorry, it's uh, between six and a half thousand feet, seven thousand. It doesn't get higher anymore it's one with 330 it went higher as well like 8000 or something well, and we also have to look at things like yeah. fuel consumption and all that kind of stuff too right which is a, a huge focus of of selling these new aircraft and i think uh, i think the 787 you know is super fuel efficient um but as arnett mentioned earlier you know it is scary from the standpoint that you know, it's an electric airplane. Um, it has some huge generators on it. It has some huge batteries on it. And um, I think it was Japan Airlines, actually, that had that fire. Even Ethiopian, uh, they had yeah. one in APU fire in London, I remember. And, you know, that's that's scary. Yeah, that's not that, cool. That's super scary for a pilot and a passenger. You know, it's we train about it, but, you know, it's one of those things that you train that you hope you never see. You just say, oh, every six months we'll go to the simulator and, you know, we'll practice this and hopefully never see it. But... When you see it on a consistent basis, especially for a new airplane, you know, it'll make you wonder. But hopefully in uh, 20 years from now, we'll just look back and say, well, that was a hiccup and, uh, you know, go on from there. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it's going to be the, interesting, the bigger one. If they're going to get the the Dash 9, more of them, or the Dash 10. The the 8 is like a 321 on steroids, we say sometimes. But it's not that What 8 has... Uh, <clears throat> I don't know why Boeing does this. Um, you know, I'm not an engineer, obviously, but uh, you see with the 767 as well. Uh, 767-300 came out first, I believe, and then they came out with the 200. But the shorter ones, like the 787-8, will have a super long range. Um, and then, you know, they'll come out with, like, the 787-9, which will carry more passengers, have a little bit less range. And the 10, I haven't seen any specs on the 10, but I hope they kind of bridge that gap with the range versus payload uh, type of deal that they have going on. Yeah. Well, it's the same with the 330-200. It's less passengers, 
you can fly further and the 300 has more passengers and it's a bit less distance and all these things you know the i would assume the manufacturers are thinking about sales too right the the airlines want to save money they want to look out for their bottom line and that's got to be i would think priority number one over pilot maneuverability and comfort over passenger comfort all that stuff i mean that passenger comfort is great, but that's got to be secondary to uh, looking out for an airline's bottom line. But that's one good thing for Boeing, Melvin. What you say, they they think out of a pilot's point of view. Airbus manuals are written by lawyers. Okay. <laughs> manuals, uh, it's I think big, that goes for Boeing as well. <laughs> because a lot of people say Boeing manuals are so much easier compared to Airbus. Some friends I know, they flew both. They always say... As a joke, like Airbus manuals are written by lawyers or they're translated from French to English. Could be as well, of course. Yeah, I did have a friend who, who did went through all the Airbus training recently and um, a couple of years ago and, and he said it was it was a beast. <laughs> and he it came is. from flying a seven thirty seven. So guys, let's get back to infinite flight here. Um what would you guys like to see next for aircraft, whether it's Boeing or Airbus or otherwise? Um Maybe I don't know. I'm I'm not that much into these details because it's a tablet thing. That's what I said in the other podcast as well. A lot of people they want all these details, details, details. And I, when I fly, I don't look outside of the airplane. I just fly with the hot mode on and I fly. Right. Even if the airplane would be without wings, I wouldn't be too bothered. <laughs> for example. That probably wouldn't be a good businessman. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna be outside looking at my landing personally. I don't. I just try it with the HUD, and that's it. I'm happy. But uh, like the 320 when it came out, it's great. And the dash, you can see the difference with the the general airplanes. Let's call them like that. And, uh, uh, I, personally, I I like to see uh, maybe like a single engine, another single engine turboprop like uh, the Pilatus, or um, you know, I think the the Concorde would be fun. But um, I, you know, honestly, I agree with Arnott is that. We have a great aircraft complement. Um, you know, you have to, you kind of have to ask at what point do you just have, have too many airplanes where you just keep adding and adding and adding. Um, I think that uh, Matt Phillip and all the other developers have kind of gone to a, uh, a great viewpoint now where they're focusing more on, you know, let's tweak uh, the actual flight sim itself. You know, let's uh, introduce things that we originally wanted to put on our task list but you know we we got to airplanes or you know um i remember when it came out with live mode you know that was a, a big task and um so i guess i saw on instagram or maybe iffg the other day that uh, they're working on global flight so you know that's something that's a huge undertaking and um based on the picture that they posted it looks like uh you know there's some cool things to come so personally the only thing that i I guess would be a big ticket on my list would be uh, working flight instruments. But, you know, I understand the complexity behind that and also the fact that, as Arnott said, it's a tablet. You know, um, we have to be realistic and say this is this is not, you know, your uh, your gaming PC that has, you know, two video cards and, you know, uh, eight core processor, yeah, you know, sure. that's, you know, clocking out at, you know, some crazy speed. We're talking about the... Uh, at least the most impressive thing out there is either the Nivea Shield or the uh, iPad Pro with the latest chips. Uh, even with the latest chips, they're they're not a full gaming PC. So um, I think that 
regardless of your background, whether you're a pilot or a non-pilot, you know, we just have to keep in mind that this is a mobile flight sim. As amazing as it is, it blows every other flight sim out there that at least I've played on a mobile tablet out the water, um, you know, from flight physics to realism, uh, so on and so forth. But uh, just, you know, just keep in mind that it's mobile and, you know, that's it. Yeah. You know, one airplane I would like to see, though, the other day I was talking with the other forum months about it. The Python would be really cool to have as a fighter. It's the one that pretty wicked. That's the one that goes up and down like a helicopter and then just moves the thrust and you fly like a fighter. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Just to have something else and uh you know then you can do vertical takeoff and landing suddenly. I think the Concorde would be fun too, especially if they're they're implementing global flight like like they've well they haven't just hinted at it, they've said they are that's it's what's more coming. Less confirmed, with, huh? It's confirmed, and and yep. with the, I mean, it looks like they've the rendering on the atmosphere and things like that is is, it's looking amazing from the last photo that, that was posted. Away. Yeah, really, seriously. So, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we had something like the Concorde coming up next, and that would be, really, really cool. Just for something like you said, something different, you know. Sure, that would be nice. So guys, let's take some questions from Facebook. We need to move along here. So uh, Dan is asking, and I thought this was an interesting question. He says, when I fly as a passenger, I get slightly nervous on takeoff and landing. Do you experience this at all, even in the slightest? Or are you concentrating so much that you haven't noticed? And it's funny because I actually was talking when I lived in Indiana in in the U.S. I, I was talking to a friend who was a first officer for United. And at the time, he was actually out of work. And uh, he was telling me once, I asked him the same question. Do you, do you get bored? Uh, I had a pilot friend once tell me that he, he wouldn't wish this job on his worst enemy because he was so bored doing long hauls. And uh, this guy said, you know, it, it for me, flying, uh, re- he flew regional, but, but, you know, across the country kind of thing. Being an airline pilot is hours of boredom followed by a few minutes of sheer terror. <laughs> so to me that wasn't a great description of, of being an airline no no so what, how do you guys feel about this question that's a whole joke though yeah for sure yeah so um, how, how are you how are you how do you guys feel about it i mean you know i i get nervous too but you know there's medication for that and it's worked pretty well uh i'm just i'm kidding uh, you can drink it as well just not you can drink flight. it yeah. that is very true <laughs> uh in all seriousness no uh no, you know, you get into situations that, uh, you know, Mother Nature is so dynamic, you know, winds may shift or, um, you know, sometimes you come up on storms that aren't appearing on your radar that might take you by surprise. But, uh, you know, we train for this and I'm, I'm not going to say that I've never been nervous in the airplane. That would be a lie. But, um, you know, flying's my passion. I love what I do and uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So not really. I don't really get nervous i just enjoy the flight you know i look forward to takeoff and i look even more forward to landing same thing here same, same thing same thing okay no, good. for sure i mean it's no you're all trained for it and it's also part of the job and the excitement of course you don't want to well you say it, it's not like an office job where you want to sit behind a desk all day i mean our desk moves almost at the speed of sound yeah you have yeah. the best view you get paid for it you're Always working with professionals, just like Melvin and myself, we fly long hauls or we go to 
all kinds of places in the world. And lots of coffee. And lots of coffee, of course, as well. With the, well, the you, guys, you guys have that luxury. I know some regional pilots that uh, can't leave the flight deck, so um, they don't drink a lot of coffee as a result. <laughs> They've got to hold it. They bring it. It comes to the flight deck. You press the ding-dong. Yeah, but then it has to come out of you at some point, and that's where they run into I, trouble. Sure. So there's another bunch of questions about the side stick and the yoke, but I feel like we've already kind of covered that. Um, our our friend Jared in episode 12 corrected me when I called it a joystick. So, folks, <laughs> it is not a joystick. It's a side stick. <laughs> yeah. So we've covered that. So we'll move on. Like more like a computer game, though, flying the side stick. It's like when I was 10 years old playing Flight Simulator whatever version at home with this more or less same kind of joystick, a.k.a. side stick. Just now it's real. Now, man, Arno, it must, for you, it must, does it feel like you're just flying a giant building? I mean, that thing is <laughs> so massive and you're using a side stick with, you know, that's not fighting you back. So... Do you feel like you're actually flying an airplane? Not at all. That's the thing. You you look backwards, you see a door, a cockpit door. And there it stops, but then there's still, what is it, 70 meters behind, which you don't see. That's crazy. And there's a step, or a step, there's steps that go up. There's a bar, there's all kinds of stuff on board, which you don't even think of, which is good. Uh, I think if you're in a landing with, let's say, 500 people on board, and you start thinking of that, instead of, thinking of landing and you get you could end up somewhere you don't want to end up with the airplane yes right i've i've thought of that before too if you're thinking of as they call it in aviation the number of souls on board that that could get overwhelming if you if you were dwelling oh, on for it sure much. especially on this 380 with 500 plus seats and then still sometimes you fly with more souls on board than with seats when the flight is overbooked and people carry infants on their lap right? yeah well, and on, on the 380, you've got, with some airlines at least, you've got people sleeping in beds and taking showers. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got, you got a whole like little Emirates town. Say, yeah, they have their suites. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. yeah Etihad has uh, nice suites. And then Qatar Airways, they also have something. Yeah, they I... have a bar, if I'm correct. And then Emirates, they, but Emirates now they start with two configuration. It's like 600 plus, only business class and economy. That's crazy. I don't have $10,000 to spend on a flight like that, so... I'll Why would to... you? I'd rather spend that on something outside of a flight. Seriously. Yeah, I don't uh, think I can stay on flight gas when I spend it on, so... <laughs> I couldn't run flight they gas, it, but they I do don't... <laughs> Yeah. That's so, it. Flight cost guaranteed for life with that money. No? There you go. Oh, exactly. Yeah. No, the donations... The no- donation levels aren't that high yet. But um, oh, and actually, speaking of uh, donations, Melvin, thank you for uh, taking my mug up in the flight deck. I appreciate it. That was oh, awesome. for sure, those were nice pictures. Uh, my boys uh, thought yeah, that was we, the coolest thing in the world. Well, hey, it uh, it kept my coffee nice and warm, and uh, we actually it was weird. We were headed uh, westbound over the Atlantic. I had a tailwind, so you know we were uh, cruising almost about uh, Mach point. Uh, eight six, we were Mach point eight five three technically, but uh, it was great to have a nice cup of coffee and you know know the uh, the owner behind the the original design. So uh, hey man, anything to to help out, always here to help. Awesome, that's that's great. I so, have to order mine soon as well. Yes, I'll you try do. Try to make some pictures. Maybe I'll I just send to. you one. No, don't worry, I'll order. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I'll send you a support code anyway. So 
guys, Luke wants to know if you could fly with any other airline besides the one that you currently do, which of course we're not going to say, in the future, what would it be and why? And this is not to say that you don't like your current airline, but if you if you had a, a choice of, of flying for another one that you've maybe heard good things about, what would it be? I think for me it would be uh, American Airlines. Um, you know, just having worked for my previous carrier uh, a while back that was holding on by them, I just like the way that, uh, you know, they treat their employees pretty well in a, in a grand retrospect. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what airline you work for, well, unless you're RNET. But, uh, you know, you're always going to have some some gripes about, you know, things that you could see better. But I just think in a big picture uh, point of view, uh, AMR Incorporation uh, does a pretty good job in terms of keeping their employees happy and uh, also providing a relatively good product for the, the customer as well. Okay, nice. Arnold, how about you? I have no idea. You know, I've seen so many people leaving the Middle East. They go back to their home country and then after half a year, they regret it. Because uh, the crash is always greener somewhere else in the end. And That's I'm true. Not, I'm not busy with leaving at all. I'm happy. Uh, the wife is happy. The family's hey, happy. And you just uh, the said rest it. is extra. Because if, if wife, the wife is like, happy. Hey, that's yep. right. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's it. So guys, let's chat a little bit about comparisons with some actual statistics. Arnold, this will be a bit of a repeat for you and a refresher for our listeners. We'll start with the A380, then move to the 777, which uh, we actually haven't discussed in previous episodes. So um, for the A380, what are some general rules for flats, flap settings and uh, on takeoff? Uh, well, you can use flaps one, two, or three. Full is only used for landing. Well, three and full can be used for landing. Normally, it's full. And uh, three, you're not allowed to use for landing when the tailwind is 10 knots or more. So you can land up to 15 knots with flaps full tailwind. And, and what, what's your landing mean, speed when you're coming in on that thing? Between, let's say, between 134 and 140 maximum. Just below f- max, max landing weight and below. If I you find go above max landing weight, it will go up, of course. But okay. okay. I find an infinite flight, if I'm on autopilot and I'm coming in and I've got my flaps full, I'm on final, if I disengage the autopilot, the nose is diving. And That's a Boeing thing. No, that that was when I was flying the A380 <laughs> before. Uh, uh, now, Airbus is uh, the thing you do when you disconnect the autopilot. When you're on the glide slope, you don't do anything. It's uh, it's completely trimmed out in real life. That's probably so the just issue. Follow that. Follow the line. Trim follow is probably my issue. No, but the airplane is auto trim. You don't have like the 737. That big trim wheel doesn't exist in any Airbus. Well, in the 300 maybe I don't know, but 320 and above doesn't exist but it's auto train the airplane you don't have to put uh, side uh, back pressure if you turn left or right within a certain amount of degrees okay so from melvin for you what are some general rules for flap settings on takeoff um if you're flying to 200 uh typically we take off with flaps five uh very rarely do we do 15 or 20 um if you do 15 or 20 it's, it's usually you're on a short runway um, usually less than uh, 7,000 feet, um, or you have wind shear. Since we don't have wind shear, and uh, at least not that I know of, in infinite flight, uh, don't worry about that. But flaps five, if you're at the max takeoff weight, um, you're looking at a rotation on you know a 20 degree Celsius day. Um, you're looking at 
uh, V1 of 157 and a rotate of 164 as that max weight. If you're at like one of your lighter weights around 360,000 pounds, um, once again at sea level on a 20 degree sea day, uh, V1 of 125 and a takeoff uh, or rotation of 127 using flaps five. So um, in the nose dip thing that, like uh, Arnott said, when you take off the autopilot, it should stay there. Um, that could just be a cynism thing or it could just be, you know, a lack of trim as well. So, mm-hmm. Do you still manual issue. trim the 777 or not at all? It's all electrical. If the autopilot is off, then we, we use an electronic trim on the, uh, on the uh, control yoke. Um, but if the autopilot is on, the autopilot trims itself. Yeah. And because in Airbus there's no trim, even manual flying it trims itself. Oh wow! Yeah, we have manual trim when we're uh, when we're flying. And if you're uh, so if you're coming in for landing and you're configuring the aircraft for landing uh, on it, then let's let's talk infinite flight. So as as much as the real life applies to infinite flight, give us some um, flap speeds and gear down. Uh, I guess speed. And uh, something I don't really know what to do in any aircraft or when to do is arming the spoilers. I just do it on final at some point usually, or if I'm if there's lots going on, maybe I'll I'll do it earlier. But um, what does the preparation for landing look like in the triple seven? Well, in the triple seven, um, and we'll pertain it to infinite flight. If you're on a down one, whether it's left or right, um, ideally you should be at flaps five by that point. Um, you know, at least be at flaps one. Uh, the max speed for flaps one, looking at your indicated airspeed, not your ground speed, as we see a lot of people do, um, is 255. Uh, you're below 10,000 feet, so you should be at 250 anyway or below. So, you know, hey, if you're on downwind, put flaps one in. Um, before you turn base, or if you're given a command by ATC to, you know, turn on the base leg, which you would perceive as the base leg, Go for flaps five and slow your speed down to uh, to about 180, uh, 190. Um, when you start getting on the intercept or start turning towards final, uh, once the glide slope starts moving uh, down um, towards the middle, so it's coming from the top towards the bottom, uh, that's a good time to go gear down. You want to go flaps 20, and you want to arm the spoilers at that point. Mm, okay. um, and then as soon as the glide slope is is captured it was what we call capture but it's in the center so you want to follow it down it's about 800 feet uh, to 900 feet per minute um is it's a good time to uh, go flaps uh, 30. when you do go flaps 20 slow your speed to uh around 160 and then when uh once you get to 160 you can go to flaps 30 from that point because uh, the max speed for flaps 30 is 170 knots but uh, once your flaps sturdy, uh, you're fully configured. It's a good time to turn on your landing light, and um, I usually like to use about 40 to 50 percent trim. Um, I know that seems like a lot, but it's a heavy airplane, and and you do have to remember you're flying this thing super slow, even though it has high energy lift devices on the leading edge of the wing. Um, you know, it needs a little bit of help. And, and that's how the real airplane is as well. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to use a little bit of trim in there, even if it's 20%, just to uh, help you out. 
All right, so you're flaring at 30 feet and pulling power out at 30 yeah. feet as well or at 10? No, I, I set a very, very slow flare at 30 feet, and that's just barely pitching the nose up a little bit. At 10 feet, I go completely uh, power out and just pitch a little bit more and hold it, and then you'll get a very nice touchdown. Just glide it to the runway. Pretty much. So, Arno, what uh, what would we say for the A380 for landing configuration? Well, let's say your downwind will be max 200, 210 with flaps 1, just as an average. Uh, turning base, you can put flaps 2. But, I mean, what I always tell people when they ask me, I use the speed, try to maintain at least 180 knots to 10 miles on final. So then you can be reaching 2,500 feet, we're supposed to be flaps 2 and put the gear down. Lots of drag at that point. But it depends on the distance, of course. Yeah, and at that point also, what Melvin says, you arm the spoilers. Gear down means arm spoilers on Airbus, ah. at least oh, okay. now, okay. for us. Uh, and then you just follow, I mean, so you say 10 miles, you'll be 2,500, around 9 miles, 8.5. So flaps 2, gear down, then you're reducing speed to 160, so you put flaps 3, when you reach... Six miles with 160. At that point, you put your final approach speed, let's say 138. Uh, you put full flaps, and you will reach that speed, let's say around four miles, and you just continue. And one of the rules is in the airline to be fully configured at 1,000 feet, which means landing gear down and flaps configured, full flaps. Okay, that's an airline rule. Yeah. Okay. Or airline policy. And that's all throughout the world. So in the end, most important is that you're fully configured at 1,000 feet. How you do it, it's up to you. But for us, one big point is 2,500 feet to be flaps to and gear down as a reference. Okay. And then the rest will short, will work out. Nice. And then it, would your flare be similar to what Melvin described? Yeah, yeah. More or less the same. Okay. Just look at the end of the runway, pitch up three degrees, and it will come. Okay, guys. Well, is there anything else before I let you guys go that you'd like to add? No. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having us. That's about it. Yeah. It was fun. Melvin and Arnold, thank you so much for battling it out today in our Boeing versus Airbus episode. I really appreciate you guys making time for me again. Anytime. That was Arnold and Melvin, and they join me on Skype from the Middle East and the USA. Well, thanks as always for listening. If you haven't already, head over to the App Store or Google Play and download Infinite Flight. For more of the podcast, visit our website and be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a great review. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash flightcastaudio and on Twitter at flightcastaudio. If you have any ideas for the show, please leave them in the comments. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. We can always use your financial support to keep us going, and a way to do that is to head over to flightcast.audio slash shop and get your very own Flightcast hat, t-shirt, and other accessories. You can donate by visiting flightcast.audio and clicking the yellow donate button in the sidebar. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening, and happy landings.